Hello and welcome to RTE Radio 1's The Rolling Wave podcast with me, Aoife Nick In this episode, I'll be talking to fiddle player and composer Zoe Conway about her newly composed suite of music called From a Forest to a Fiddle, which she performed recently with the RTE Concert Orchestra and John McIntyre in the National Concert Hall in Dublin. The suite is inspired by the process of making a violin from beginning to end. And in this case, the violin maker is Jim. McKillop and we'll be hearing from him later on as well. But we'll begin with an excerpt from the piece. This is called There. You know, there's actually 11 pieces within the whole work and in the end it'll be around 43 minutes or something like that of music. So definitely the most ambitious thing I've ever composed. Um, but uh, within the 11 pieces, there are a couple of songs. Um, actually, the words for one of them was from uh, John Sheehan, you know, the fiddle player from the Dubliners. And uh, I just thought some of the poems that he's written have really hit on the theme of what we're doing here the the piece is called from a forest to a fiddle and all of those individual pieces are named after a different tree from the old irish language from owen actually um and so we took the words of one of john sheehan's poems which was called uh, forest echoes and and john my husband translated them into irish and so that's kind of one of the songs and the other song is is taking those um, names of trees and reworking working them into a kind of a song, if you like. And um, those names are actually from the OM alphabet. And rather than having like an A and a B and a C as we know it, it would have been, you know, Alum, Beth, Dur, they're all names of, of different trees. So I suppose the whole project is about connecting with nature and being aware of all of this amazing um, heritage that we have here in Ireland. And I suppose it came out of a lockdown project and that was part of being in this environment here in in Cooley. So there's a lot going on, but (laughs) that's a bit of a synopsis. I'm going to try to decipher some of that now, but we are (laughs) sitting here um, looking out at this amazing view so I can see how it would have been an inspirational or an inspiring um, environment to be in during lockdown definitely so tell me about the genesis though or the like where did the idea of doing this particular project come from um well well over the years i've been going to jim mckillop's house um who is a wonderful fiddle maker um, he's also known as a composer i'm sure you know in irish music he has some very famous tunes that have been adopted into the repertoire um and he makes bows and fiddles and he's got this incredible knowledge and actually a past story of his was that he was an engineer on uh, for the navy i think in ireland this is going back a long time so he's quite an incredible man and he's a great character as anyone who met him will know um and i just felt like he's coming to the end of making fiddles and he actually told us last year or whatever you know i'm really not going to be making fiddles for much longer i'm going to step back from it um and i suddenly thought oh my god all of this knowledge that he has spent his whole life um learning um since you know the mid-20s i suppose and he, he studied in cremona and all of his um lovely tools that he has there a lot of them are handmade tools especially for a very specific part of violin making um, and i thought that's all going to be 
finished with, you know, which is kind of devastating in a way. And um, the fact that he lives in Ravensdale, just over the way from me here in Cooley, um, I suppose I just had this amazing connection. And as well as all of that, there's that connection with the tree and the wood and the craftsman and that story of kind of renewal and sustainability and respect of wood. And so really all of those things fed into the whole piece. And for me, it was very organic um, project. Um, There's a film as well, which will be uh, on a big screen, I believe, in the concert hall while you're playing, you yourself and John, um, your husband will be playing with the orchestra. Um, Where did the idea for the film come from? Because I think the film is made by your brother. That's right. Well, in my head, this was my vision the whole time for this project, that it would be a film and that it would be kind of slow moving and meditative. And this came again out of me and what I was drawn to when all the concerts stopped. So what I would watch is um, I, I would look up things on YouTube, those kind of slow moving videos like people making pottery. Um, I know that sounds really ridiculous, but that's what I spent a lot of time doing. And I just found them so incredibly beautiful to watch people working with their hands and uh, creating art. And I thought about that. That was really the inspiration for the film. And I actually asked a few different people about the film. You know, would people be interested in taking this on? Maybe somebody from RTE or, you know, I had the vision that it would be with the orchestra in the end in a big concert. Um, And I was very hopeful that we might be able to have a concert. Um, But um, I wasn't able to find somebody to do the film. So then, of course, being totally stupid and not thinking of my own brother, Patrick. Um, John, my husband, suggested, well, what about Patrick? Because he is a filmmaker and he's an incredible guy, really talented, and um, he has a, a wonderful eye for, for movies and for film, and especially for music, for traditional music, because he's a, a flute player. Um, so I asked Patrick and he was happy to take it on and it worked out so incredibly well. I mean, apart from how beautiful the film is, but Patrick just lives 10 minutes from Jim and of course there was the whole lockdown. We weren't able to travel very far and he was able to go up every week and just document the next stage. So had it been anyone else, we wouldn't have actually gotten the kind of richness and the, the thoroughness of the whole process. And did you, was the film already made by the time you went to write the music or were they written hand in hand or separately or how did that work? Yeah, it was kind of overlapping quite a lot. So Patrick was going up each week and I was working on the music each week as well. Um, And I would watch those films that I love, those kind of slow movies on YouTube as I composed. So that I was in that kind of... um, really slow moving, really chilled out kind of music, which is quite unlike what I would normally write, which would be very like up tempo and really dramatic and full of crack. Um, so it was a challenge for me to, to come up with those ideas. Um, but I was offered a residency in our local art centre in Dundalk, which is on Tone Art Centre. And I was able to go in there and I brought the harp. I'm pointing at the harp here in the sitting room um, and a keyboard and um, all a few fiddles and lots of different kind of instruments to play around with. And I was based there for three or four months and I worked every day. So it was like absolutely amazing time. Um, and it felt like at least I could be creative, even if I couldn't be performing. Um, so it really was a lovely use of time. I was going to ask you about that because, uh, you know, 
in all composition everyone has a very different process so I know you play the fiddle I didn't know you could play the harp I know you can play a few tunes on the tin whistle but I didn't know you played the harp as well um so what's your process I mean is it go to the fiddle and uh, play around with, with patterns or what how do you go about it well I have to jump in there immediately and say I don't play the harp <laughs> at all and barely the piano um but for me when I'm trying to create something, if I do it on the fiddle, I seem to fall into the same kind of patterns again and again and again, and everything ends up sounding the same. Um, whereas if I try and write on something that's a bit different that I don't know, um, suddenly I get these inspirations and I get these clashes or really interesting um, little things happen. And that's the reason. It's because you're not in control. You know, in fiddle, I'm in control, and that kind of can be a real hindrance when you're trying to compose and create. Um, so... I think the first thing that I try to do when I'm composing is I have a kind of a, a, a framework of what I'm looking for um, and I'll be picking really a type of tune. So I might be saying, right, I'm going to write a slip jig or I'm going to write a reel or I'm going to write a, a march or I'm going to write something that sounds a bit like Bjork or something that sounds a bit like Joanna Molina or Vassen or all of these people that I love and I take inspiration from. Um, so that's my kind of structure. And then I sit down and start filling in all the blanks and I throw out 90% of the work and then I keep the bits I think are nice and I kind of work them all together. And sometimes something is really easy and I just have a tune written in 10 minutes. And sometimes you could be working on something for two months before it's actually complete, you know? Um, so there's a there, it, it, every day is different when you're composing you just there's no rhyme or reason to it um but I think for me I'm very good at deciding okay I'm finished I'm gonna send that off and that's it you know I'm, I'm finished with that tune I'm gonna move on to the next one and I think that's important because otherwise you'd never release anything <laughs> Do you write down your ideas or do you record them? Uh, both, yeah. I write and record. So I've got reams of paper. <laughs> if anyone ever wants to see any of my so workings. We can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I write in letters, ABC, because that's how I learned in traditional music. And most of what I compose is traditional. So I hear that in my head. I see it. I don't even need an instrument, to be honest. I, I can hear the notes in my head and write them down. And then I stitch all of that together in ABC form. And then I might record the tune um, or I might go and write it in Sibelius, which is the kind of dotted notation for classical music. Um, but for me, that's kind of slow hand. The other is shorthand. Um, and really playing the fiddle or playing an instrument and recording is very important. So I also have hours and hours and hours and hours of me kind of doodling on the fiddle or the harp or piano or whatever. And then I have to sift through it all. And um, obviously the pieces, uh, so the 11 pieces that make up this, um, this suite of music, I suppose, this, uh, this project that people are going to hear on Wednesday night in the concert hall, um, 
you wrote the melodies for those and how then did it make its way to the music stands of the orchestra musicians? Did you do the orchestrations or how did that happen? Well, no, it's the short answer. I was um, slow to take on that work because I haven't studied that at all. Um, now, that's not to say that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't ever do it. I have an, on occasion, um, you know, arranged things for orchestra, but it's an unbelievably difficult job and it's very, um, you know, skilled, I suppose is the word. Um, and we've worked before with a brilliant orchestrator called Gavin Murphy. Um, and he was able to take on all the orchestrations and do that for me. So that was absolutely amazing. But first, um, after I had the melodies, I worked with John on the chords, or really John came up with his own arrangements with uh, guitar. And then with the, both the melody and the chords and the whole structure, we handed that over to Gavin. And we actually spent quite a few days working on that with Gavin, that he had a good idea of where we wanted to go. And then he took it and just oh my God, it's so incredible, the work that he's done. Honestly, it would just take your breath away. So he made it totally beautiful and um, he's going to be there in the audience as well. So it's very exciting and um, it's a dream come true to hear your own music um, treated like that. It's just, it's like putting a beautiful gloss on everything, you know, and um, I'm, I'm really honoured that that happened. It's the ultimate um, collaborative project as well, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? When you think of the orchestra and, and Gavin and John and you and Jim and Patrick and all of these yeah. people who've come together to make this special night. And you have just received a, a massive delivery of CDs <laughs> here as well. Um, and I believe there's a vinyl too, is that right? Yeah, we're waiting on the vinyl. It might come at any time. Hopefully you won't meet them on the lane. <laughs> They'll be reversing and not me. <laughs> but um, yeah, we have we've about 16 boxes of CDs here in the, in the kitchen and um, we haven't found a place for them yet but that's the the new album which is the soundtrack of the film uh, from a forest to a fiddle it's called and uh, it's our first album that we've ever done with an orchestra and uh, we're just so proud I mean we're we're basically not really sleeping at the moment <laughs> it's just you know it's all go and it's very exciting and it's a big countdown to the concert just to make sure that we have everything um, in place and all the music printed and we know what's going to happen and to have the CDs ready and hopefully the vinyl as well um, it's just it's years of work all coming together within this week you know so it's quite incredible it's, it's absolutely gorgeous, yeah. Um, tell me just uh, this role that you have with the concert orchestra, um, it's associate artist with the concert orchestra. Tell me, I mean, I know it's early days because this is your first concert with them, but tell me what you envision it involving or what might come of it over the next while. Well, it's again a huge honour um, to have been awarded this artist, associate artist role um, with the RTE Concert Orchestra. And I mean, I know them very well. Um, we, we have worked together for, for years and years on different concerts. And in fact, we went on a tour to China as well together. So we had five concerts in China. Um, and some of those people in the orchestra, especially the violinists, I would have met as a violinist myself as a teenager, you know, in the youth orchestras and so on. So I really feel a connection with the orchestra and I really feel welcome when I walk in the door, um, which is amazing. Um, but I think uh, for me, I'm hoping to give Irish traditional music a real platform in terms of orchestral music and possibilities there. And I have always loved the work of people like Bill Whelan and Sean Davey, Michal Wasulawan um, and Sean Arrieda, people who have taken 
amazing Irish music and made it even better and as I said kind of put that gloss on it you know um, and to, to create that kind of filmic atmosphere with Irish music which you hear all over the world in, in soundtracks for many films um, and I think that's maybe something that could be explored even more and maybe didn't really reach the audiences that it should have in Ireland um, so I'm hoping to invite friends of mine who are traditional players maybe to be able to come in and play with orchestra and have new music orchestrated uh, for the orchestra and um, I don't know what the next project is uh, we haven't really figured that out yet but hopefully it'll be one or two over the, the next maybe four or five years um, so plenty to be thinking about <laughs> well you've got you've got to get past this one first yeah. I suppose before you plan the next one yeah. um, you and I spoke briefly a couple of years ago when you did a, um, a recording with the concert orchestra um, in Studio One we spoke briefly about that uh, relationship between traditional music and, and the orchestra um, so I'm, I'm wondering the, the art of the traditional musician and it's about variation and improvising and uh, nuance and all of those things and by its nature then the orchestra has to be slightly more formal because you can't have 60 musicians all improvising individually it doesn't work like that so how then how easy is it to bring those two things together and to have, um, you know, to have each voice, the two of the two voices, respected equally? Yeah, it's that's that is the absolute challenge for traditional musicians um, who are coming to to work with orchestra. Um, it's totally different. It's a whole different skill set, and it's quite far removed from Irish traditional music as we know it. Um, so it is a challenge. But actually, I think the biggest challenge was for the orchestra. Um, to be open to doing that and to have the respect for Irish music which I'm not saying that they never did of course the RTE Concert Orchestra always have been amazing in fact um, but orchestras across the world not so much <laughs> speaking from experience um, you know they just really didn't have that uh, respect of um, I suppose the high level of our folk music in Ireland, you know, and the high quality of it. And I think in my lifetime, and I'm not saying because of me, it's not because of me, it's because of the work of many people, um, that has really changed that mindset. So when somebody like my, me walk in in front of an orchestra, you get respect and they listen and they follow and they give you space um, to be able to put those ornaments in or to say, gosh, could we repeat that section again? Because if you said that in front of an orchestra 20 years ago, I mean, you would be laughed out of the place. So, I mean, the, the world has changed mm. and actually there's a great um, respect for, for that kind of style of music now. And um, I think it's amazing that, that that's the way it is. And I definitely feel that now from orchestras across the world and conductors and organisers, you know, all the people behind the scenes as well. Um, and it's great. It's a great time for Irish music across the world, I think. Mm. Because you balanced classical and traditional music throughout your teenage years, I think, didn't you? Um, whereas that's a relatively, I mean, it, it's very common now amongst traditional musicians that they would either be learning the same instrument, classical music on the same instrument or a different instrument in classical music. So that whole culture has really changed. It was quite different, I think, I'd say, when you were growing up. Oh, it definitely was. Yeah. And it was quite difficult. Um, I was really leading two lives um, separately and secretly. <laughs> And that's so difficult for people. How do you mean secretly? You wouldn't talk about it? No. So the people who I knew in classical didn't know that I played traditional and the people who I knew in traditional didn't know I played classical, apart from I wore shoulder rest, which was a real giveaway for the violinists. Um, but, you know, there was definite 
problem there and I think you know I'm not saying that every classical musician can suddenly become a traditional player you can't do that either and vice versa I mean you know there is an awful lot of learning involved in both traditions um, and that's an understatement <laughs> but it is possible to learn both and uh, for me it's it's like giving a child two languages from being a baby it's only an advantage mm. for anyone and it develops those parts of the brains so that the other language doesn't or or music doesn't um so i think now people really see the benefits of that and uh, you'll see it in dance as well you know it's really seen you know if you're doing ballet you need to be able to do jazz or you need to be able to do um irish or whatever as well so everyone now sees that those kind of benefits running through both genres mm. Well, there's so much to learn from both traditions as well. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant that that has all sort of changed. So going back to then Wednesday night on the stage of the uh, National Concert Hall, I think it's nearly full at this stage. There are probably some renegade tickets left still, if anyone is listening tonight, um, the Concert Hall at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. What, what is it like to play? Because again, as a traditional musician, you don't normally have you know the stage you don't share the stage with 60 or 50 other musicians what is that feeling like of the having that huge power of, of a great orchestra like the RT concert orchestra behind you well it's, with you yeah it's incredible I mean it's incredible and I'm kind of mentally preparing for the night already um, there's a lot of that that goes on in music that people wouldn't appreciate I suppose the kind of getting in the zone of it so I'm already kind of imagining the stage imagining the orchestra and all of that but the the most important thing is the fact that the orchestra are there with me you know they're uh, supportive and they want it to go well so that is a huge um, help so I think really for us it's a it's going to be a huge celebration um, to be able to perform this film for the first time especially um, and to show all of this work that we've been working on for years um, it's the biggest project by far that I've ever done so I think that's just going to be amazing and then the second half we've got some friends coming Dona Luni is going to come play Bazuki and Louise Mulcahy on pipes and um, you know just to have those people come and join us I think the second half will be a big kind of celebration and a bit of crack so I'm actually not so nervous but I know you you mentioned uh, the last time we talked with the orchestra I definitely was very nervous that day <laughs> I remember that but um, hopefully now it'll all be fine yeah 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 <laughs> I didn't take that from that day definitely I didn't take that um, and so the music is, will be released after the concert on CD and available on CD what about uh, Patrick's film will that be uh, will anyone be able to view that after the concert well hopefully and the plan for that is that it would go on the RTE website um, so people should be able to view it there but we don't have a, a date or a, an actual concrete plan yet um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we might be able to enter it into some uh, competitions for film but um, I'm just going to focus on learning music yeah. this week and then maybe when that's done <laughs> I'll get back to doing a bit of research on the film festival. <laughs> One step at a time yeah. um, well we're going to go down and visit uh, Jim McKillop and see some of his uh, fiddles and his workshop shortly but I wish you the best of luck for Wednesday and I know the RT Orchestra is very excited and I can see that you're very excited too so I wish you the best of luck with it um, and I hope you have a brilliant night on Wednesday. Thank you so much, Aoife. Thank you.
An extract there from a piece called Alum, which is one of the pieces in this new suite of music from A Forest to a Fiddle, written by Zoe Conway and performed there by Zoe with John McIntyre and the RTE Concert Orchestra conducted by Stephen Bell. And as Zoe mentioned there, the tunes were orchestrated by Gavin Murphy. And that CD from A Forest to a Fiddle will be making its way into all the usual shops and music outlets over the coming days. As Zoe also mentioned earlier, the project, Film and Music, follows fiddle maker Jim McKillop through the process of making a fiddle from start to finish. Jim McKillop is well known to many of you, I'm sure, as a fiddle player and a tune composer, originally from Cushendal in the glens of Antrim. He didn't learn to play the fiddle until he was in his 20s, but just four years later he was already winning national competitions, including the senior fiddle competition at Fla Hjoel Neheren. And as you'll hear shortly, his skill as a fiddle player has not diminished in the least and his mastery of the instrument comes across very clearly. Zoe and I visited Jim McKillop in his workshop in Ravensdale County Loud this week and I asked him how he felt about himself and his fiddle being the centre point of this project. I didn't have to think. I know she's very persuasive. (laughs) So she won any arguments that I had and I made the fiddle because I had more or less sort of feast off on it. I'm doing a lot of model engineering now, so that, as you can see, yeah. takes up a lot of time. So she talked me into making the last one. And is it definitely the last one, or have you been rejuvenated now? It's the last one I've made, actually, but I might well make another one, who knows. How many have you made over the course of your working uh, life? Well, that's a question I could never answer. I'm probably on the third one now. <laughs> Nobody can take me up on that one. Well, they're all in Wexford, I think. You made, <laughs> you made three in Wexford, you just told well, me. That. There's one family in Dublin has five. There's two different families in, in Cavan have five each. So that's 15 in three houses. There's a few in Canada, there's a few in England, you know, a few. I've never named, numbered them. For some reason, I just, it's hard to say. More than 10. And how did you get into fiddle making in the first place? I couldn't find a fiddle that worked properly. You know, I had all these various types of commercial type fiddles. My father's was the first one that I had because I repaired it. That's what made me start off, start playing. But it wasn't a good one. And I've got ones here and there, commercial things, French, German things. I never liked any of them. And I sort of kept looking at them and thought, there's nothing there that I probably couldn't improve on, you know, so... That's what got me into making. At that stage, when you were thinking that you could maybe approve on them, you had no training or you hadn't made one before or anything no, like that? No, and the, the, one, the second one that Zoe knows about, the one I use, a fantastic fiddle. Better than most strads that I have played. And I mean that. It's just a great fiddle. And that was number two. And from the minute I actually finished it, in the white, the minute I put strings on that fiddle, I just knew this is a great fiddle. And it's proved to be, and it's got better as time has gone on. Isn't it interesting? That's before I studied, yes. But after that, I studied a bit of while in Italy, a while in Loughborough College in the summer courses. But uh, I have made one or two fiddles that probably, from a workmanship point of view, might be more, I don't know, what would you call them? Flashy and... The one you have is a very nice, that's one of the best I've ever made in terms of looks. But I never liked the sound of it. Mm -hmm. But it's a very nice fiddle, and I mean, it's... But the sound is, it's a personal thing anyway, isn't it? That's 
that's one of the things about playing the fiddle isn't it um you know you never know what the fiddle is going to sound like until you play it and even if you copy something it identically um each fiddle is unique it's i i would often say to people it's nearly like a human you know you can't sure. replicate it you know you just can't and, and i'm sure as you're making them you don't know really it, how it's going to be not, not exactly but once you learn the the, the, the skills so to say and the principles the principles which are well founded over three centuries and you follow good rules you use good timber and you use good tools you can usually get the results pretty good but they're all different it would be impossible in any lifetime even Strad's lifetime and he made 1100 and there's not two that are exactly the same it couldn't be because even from the same from the same tree, if you've got two pieces of say pine, they're not identical acoustically. And at what point in the 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 making process do you know that you're onto a good one, or that it's not working, or what, when do you know that you're sort of on the right path? I think from the beginning. I think from you draw around the templates to put on the last coat of varnish. I don't think there's one thing apart from varnish which is more important than any other. But I think, from my point of view, and it's well established with makers over the centuries, varnish is critical. Why? Because if it's too hard, it makes the sound hard. If it's too soft, it can flake and it can do this and that and the other. It's, if we wanted to talk about varnish, we could spend two days here. <laughs> I have a library of books on it. it. It's a big subject, but it's critical. And it protects the fiddle. That's why the strads are around 300 years. You said you studied in, in Cremona, in Italy. Yeah, I've been there. How did that come about? Well, I, I, I got to hear about Cremona. That is really the, the home of violin making. Always has been. Stradivari from there. All the great makers over the past three centuries would have been associated at some stage with Cremona. And, of course, Strad was from there, Amati, Guarneri. That was the home of the violin world. And you and still is. And whether I mean there there are bad fiddles made in Cremona as well, of course. There's good fiddles made everywhere. Yeah. You know, but it's not the only place that can make nice fiddles. But if you have a a Cremonese fiddle of an early period, they're very they're very valuable things. You know, they now you pay something like ten million for a good Strat. You came to the fiddle late enough um, in terms of sort of you weren't six or seven when you started playing the fiddle. What age were you when you first began? When you when you became besotted with it? I'm 20, I was 26. <laughs> and that's why I can't play, because it's too, it's too late to start, start the fiddle. You need to start at four or five to really learn all the systems. Some, some people would argue with that. I think Jim is <laughs> well, known for a, a, being a, a brilliant player and a flamboyant player. And as we mentioned before there, just before um, we recorded, um, he's kind of famous for going to the flas, the different flas all around Ireland. and. Um, having the street session, so I'd have to inter interject there. <laughs> well, thanks for your comments, Zoe. But I mean, the fiddle is a massive subject. I mean, there's millions of possible fingering combinations, bowing combinations. It's just never ending. Mm -hmm. It's like a mountain with no summit. You start climbing. I'm probably at the first hundred yards or something like that. It gets, it's a big subject. Well, I was listening to your fiddle playing again yesterday, and um, I, I, I definitely detect a mastery of, of the instrument in the fiddle playing that I heard yesterday. So God knows what would have happened had you started at six. <laughs> yeah, I feel it would have been great if I had been and trained properly, of course. I mean, putting down a foundation, 
is the important thing in everything. And of course, I started the fiddle just, I didn't know anything about it. Learned you bad habits. Oh, I taught myself, yeah. But later on, I met one or two people who didn't know about violin technique. So I've read some things and started to look at it in a more serious view from a technical standpoint. I had another 50 years to live, I reckon I probably could learn the fiddle, but I don't. <laughs> um, I know you travel to auctions and things like that. Mm. What do you look for in a fiddle when you're, when you're at those auctions? What is one, what's a good one for you? That's a good question. People ask you the same about horses and dogs. When you handle the first 20,000, you get the hang of it. You know, that's, there's no other answer to that. I mean, I've studied, I've gone to auctions in London where I've seen maybe 2,000 fiddles over three or four days, four or five times a year. So you see a lot of fiddles. Mm. And if you've got an observant eye, you can see, learn the styles, the periods, even down to the maker. Mm. It's, you're not always 100%, but you get fairly close. Right. German fiddles have a certain look, French fiddles, English fiddles, Dutch fiddles, you've won. You know, they have all got their own characteristics. And the ordinary individual wouldn't recognise them. I mean, you have to handle them and get to know the all sorts of things that change from one to the other. Well, I was just going to say, um, Jim mentioned the Dutch fiddle there, but um, he actually saw my fiddle that I play, which is a Max Muller violin, um, at an auction. And, you know, that eye that he's talking about and that knowledge, um, you know, that's why he ended up taking that back to... Ravensdale <laughs> and that's where I saw it and it is by far and away the best fiddle that I've ever played it's absolutely beautiful so that really you know for me that was just a life-changing moment and uh, for me that violin spoke to me the minute I saw it the minute I lay laid eyes on it it's just such a wonderful instrument but you can't explain that to people who don't play the fiddle but Jim knows what I'm talking about you know you would be drawn to those fiddles when you have the knowledge yeah, you kind of fall in love with it and, and it becomes an integral part of your whole system. I mean, almost any piano, if you're a good piano player and it's a good one, you can sit down and play and feel at ease, but it doesn't work with the fiddle because mm -hmm. every note has a different kind of sound, the shape of the fingerboard, exactly where the notes are, bridge height, bridge curve, you know, so many things. So, it, 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 But you do, over time, learn to handle it. A specific instrument and maybe you're biased sometimes against others because you know it so well so there's that aspect mm -hmm. too you know but Zoe's fiddle yes she loved that fiddle wouldn't have been my fiddle personally mm. or she probably wouldn't have had it <laughs> but <laughs> I but I hope she's enjoyed it and I know she has but uh, it's a nice fiddle oh, no nice. question yeah nice varnish oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, Say the, the fiddle you made for this project, for, um, for Patrick's mm -hmm. film, so that's a brand new fiddle now. How long, or does a fiddle change over time, or how long does it take for that fiddle to sort of settle and embed itself and find its own voice? Yeah, well, if it's not, if it's not good to begin with, it never becomes good. Like, a, a, a bad new fiddle becomes a bad old fiddle. A good new fiddle becomes a better old fiddle so that one was doing it under different conditions camera there and so on and so forth but it's nice it's i sold it shortly afterwards <laughs> and it's again that people love it yeah. they think we girl won the all ireland on it this year yeah. that oh, fiddle so um, there you are on the brand new fiddle, brand new fiddle. <laughs> so maybe that was her not the fiddle but <laughs> however and what was it like having your work 
documented over a over a period of time. I'm not sure how long the period of time was that Patrick was coming in and out filming you. Did it make you look at it in a different way, having somebody sort of at your shoulder all through the process? Oh, well, Patrick's a nice chap. How could he be anything else? Being a brother, it's always... He's a nice chap. He was very easy to deal with. And anything I suggested, he agreed. If he suggested something, we, we worked as a team, so I, I suppose you could say. No, it was easy. It was actually easier than I thought it would be. As a matter of fact, when I went to look at the edit, I went with a view that I'm going to tear this apart. <laughs> and I, could, I couldn't believe how good it was. I mean, he'd done a great job. Really and the music, of course, and everything is super. So, so I'm delighted I've done it. I was a bit hesitant, as we probably tell you, but sorry, I'm moving back and forth here. Just before I, I finish, Zoe was telling me that the, there was terrible flooding around here oh, recently, and yes. you had a bad experience. I might not have been a bad gig. <laughs> Very bad experience. As a matter of fact, had it not been for a, ch a chap called uh, Eamon Clifford, a fellow that I know, I found phone number for him in the car. Yeah. I wouldn't be here I know. because everything locked in the car. I couldn't get out. I would have tried to smash. I wonder that might have worked and it might not. But he came and he just worked so hard. So between then and now, I've composed a tune for him, okay. and I'm calling it Cl Clifford's Rescue. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Even <laughs> Clifford's Rescue. It's a slow air. I'll play it for you. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it was a terrible experience. What level was that water at? In the uh, car? Three foot six and rising. And as I was in the car, it was just coming down almost like a river. And it was filling up. The problem, the thing, the mistake I made was when it happened, I tried to open the door and but over the first click, you know, there's a couple of clicks, oh. wouldn't go any further and I couldn't get it close. So the water just kept coming in. Oh my God. And here was me. I had a bunch of Strad magazines in the back and they were floating around the <laughs> But I seriously thought that when I got hold of him and within 15 minutes, I was two hours in this car. It was cold as well. So when he came, he, he organised a, 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 delivery, a, a recovery vehicle. So it came, but it was too deep. We couldn't get the recovery vehicle in. So he waded through right up to the waist and we got lines on it. Tying lines for the big lorries, you know, the straps, the ratchet straps. We put about five of them together, over 140 feet, I'd say, and linked it to a crane on the uh, on the uh, recovery vehicle. And the problem I had also was the brakes, the electronic brake locked on and had no power, wouldn't disengage. Everything was locked. A strange thing to happen. So... I was just on the verge when we finally got the thing moving. I was just on the verge. Of, I had the seat, cover, the headrest off. I was going to smash the window, and next thing we just finished starting to move. So we got we got it back, and I got out. Oh. Thanks to Mister Mister Clifford. Well, if if any action was ever deserving of a tune, that's certainly that's <laughs> certainly yeah, one of them. Incredible. Fair play oh, to him. Yeah, and uh, the connection with him is his daughter. I I teach his daughter a wee bit on the fiddle. Jenna. Do you uh, teach much fiddle? No, that's the only one. Okay. That's the only one. Well, that's good karma for you now. <laughs> <laughs> I leave that to Zoe. Um, we've talked a lot. She was one of my first pupils. Well, maybe it, as it, as a, as a, as a, an honest claim. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Because she was playing the banjo when I first met her. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 
sitting in a chair over there and there was no engines there, just the piano, do you remember? Yeah, so I, I started really the traditional music on maybe the tin whistle and then I did a little bit yeah. of piano and then I played banjo for a couple of years and I loved the banjo. And then I moved to the fiddle and I would have come up to Jim's quite regularly and learned a lot of the tunes that he was playing. Mm. Especially I remember some kind of bluegrass ones like the Orange Blossom Special and that, um, so which I still play. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jim. <laughs> Um, Jim, we've talked a lot about your making, um, but you mentioned the, the writing the tune there and mm -hmm. you obviously are very well known as a very brilliant fiddle player. Um, do you play much these days or, or how much or do you get out to sessions or things like that? No, I, I, I still play. I still try and play a few skills, keep in shape. Yeah. No, it, things have changed dramatically. The flowers, uh, as I used to know them in the, the 80s and 90s, were wonderful. I mean, they were just, I looked for it the whole year to get into the flacule, but I think they've changed now, haven't they? Or is it just me getting too old? I, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> There's different people turning up anyway, that's for sure. But interestingly enough, this year in, in, uh, in uh, Tullamore, it was a Monday evening, I think it was, and I was playing, and this fella came running up the street, this is a good story, and he kept looking. McKillop. I said, who knows? McKillop. I thought you were dead, he says. We had a, he was from Kerry. He, he had a discussion in, 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 in John B. King's pub about three weeks ago, and they were talking about me from some flies back in the store. No. Ah, that man's dead two or three years ago. <laughs> Well, we're I, happy to announce here on I, the rolling wave you, that uh, that certainly isn't the case. I'll tell you what happened, I said, when they put the cover over the coffin, I sneaked back out <laughs> and away. More tunes to be played, Jim. more <laughs> tunes to be played. Um, you, you have this brand new fiddle, would you play me a tune on it? Sure, 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 sure. What, what would you play? Well, Zoe and I'll play something. Oh, yeah. M maybe a Shokin for a while or something. That's lovely. Thank something different, would that do? <laughs> Looking at you play there, Jim, like you handle that fiddle really beautifully, all those positions and the beautiful vibrato and everything. Did you teach yourself all that or who were the people you might have looked up to or learnt from? No, I had no tuition. I just sort of figured it out from watching others, watching the great players, I suppose. And who would they have been? Well, mainly classical players. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because you, you just play so beautifully. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. That's because Zoe's here. It makes it easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, I know. See, I can't afford to back off. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to give an airing to your new tune that came out of... Oh, The Rescue. You, the Rescue, yes. Okay, so we have a world premiere here on The Rolling Wave, which is very exciting for, for me. And I think this tune is... Is, when I say brand new, it's really brand new, isn't it? This morning. <laughs> this morning. Okay. Uh, so Zoe Conway and Jim McKillop. Um, off you go. Eamon Clifford's Rescue. <laughs> Thank you. 
tune there called Eamon Clifford's Rescue, composed by Jim McKillop and played by him with Zoe Conway. And thanks for listening to the Rolling Wave podcast. For rights reasons, the music here is shorter than in the original broadcast. So if you'd like to hear the full versions of the tracks, you can go to rte.ie forward slash radio one forward slash the rolling wave. And this programme was first broadcast on the 12th of November 2023. Until the next time. Gurmila Magi Agaslan.